Welcome to our 47th Leviticus study. And, uh, well, we're picking up with the last chapter of the book of Leviticus. And we're going to start in verse 1 after we give a hillbilly holler out to a brother, Andre Moraz, in Toronto, Canada. And brother Andre, here's your hillbilly holler. And uh, if you're in Toronto, you don't live in the hills, but uh, you're getting a holler from a transplanted hillbilly. I come from southern Ohio, surrounded by the hills along the Ohio River, now up in central Ohio, not too far from Toronto, but I've never been there before. And so we appreciate all of our listeners in Canada. We have a bunch of regulars who listen from uh, that country up north. And so here's your hillbilly holla as we get into our study with the word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, this book and we come to the end of the book of Leviticus uh, it's been an amazing study I've learned a lot as I've prepared these uh, studies and I can only hope and pray that those listening are learning a lot and some of them have written to tell us how much they've learned and appreciated these studies so we're thankful for that we're thankful for Andre and uh, so many others up in Canada and around the world as well as those in all 50 U.S. states and a bunch of people right here in Ohio, all listening and viewing these videos and listening to the messages on audio and listening to the radio program both on the Internet and locally, and uh, all for, with a desire to learn your Word. And we're thankful for each one of them and ask your Holy Spirit to help each of them. But we, I believe, most of those listening would be in agreement with me as I pray. Come quickly even as you help us in our studies in the meantime. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, we're now at the final chapter of the book of Leviticus. And um, some of the more ridiculous, or you might call them just foolish commentators, uh, come to this chapter and they even doubt that it belongs here. And just let you know, if you see that, you shouldn't even be reading uh, what that person is writing. That's not a Bible believer for certain. Um, there's no reason to jump to what is really a satanically inspired conclusion trying to rip parts of your Bible out. Um, after giving all the commandments and uh, instructions for the ceremonies and ordinances, we come to this final chapter, which is basically a closing word, and it'll deal with um, voluntary vows. And then it abruptly ends with a final verse as a word of closure. And it's just as though God knew that there would also be a book of Numbers and Deuteronomy in the Torah. <laughs> and of course he did know. Um, Deuteronomy will be called the second law. That's what that word means. Um, after this accounting uh, of the law in Leviticus and the original Ten Commandments and laws given in Exodus. So of course God knew uh, what was coming after Leviticus and the so-called scholars who throw shade at this chapter are just stupid. There's no other word for them. So just ignore them. As we jump into the text, just want to start with the first two verses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, When a man shall make a singular vow, the persons shall be for the Lord by thy estimation. Now, um, contrary, or not contrary, but um, opposed to 
the commandments and ordinances that uh, we just referred to in the previous 26 chapters are laid out. This is speaking about something that's voluntary. A vow was something that people did voluntarily. But once you uh, make the vow, it's important that you keep it. And uh, Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, when we come there, if the Lord tarries, and I'm still around to uh, teach that, says, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So, uh, just because something's voluntary uh, doesn't mean it's not just as binding as those commandments and ordinances that we read about in the previous 26 chapters. Um, that's why later we're going to see in, uh, Jesus and then in the book of James, but Jesus in the Gospels will say, let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. Um, because of these kind of oaths and things come evil. But um, at this time, you have to remember, um, there is no Bible. Uh, the Bible is actually being written and produced when Leviticus 27 is uh, even given uh, originally to Moses. But even after the Torah is finished and then uh, hundreds of years, thousand years later, there's still prophets and they're still speaking and writing and adding books to the Bible. Um, you can see our About the Bible series as we explain how we got our Bible. But even after that, there's no Holy Spirit indwelling in believers of that dispensation, of that time. Mosaic law came before Christ, and uh, when Christ came, he didn't destroy the law, but he fulfilled it. And in fulfilling it, he introduced a new dispensation of the gospel of the grace of God. It's not the same as uh, what was under Mosaic law. And any teacher that tries to make you think that everything was just the same, just turn them off, because they're blind leaders of the blind. They're not the same. They're different dispensations. They're just as different as the future millennial kingdom will be from this dispensation we live in, live in now. Um, so, with that said, uh, that's why some of these things are laid out and are not really applicable to us today, because we don't make vows and go to the temple to offer sacrifice and have a priesthood, make an estimation, and that sort of thing. What we see by reading it is just, a, it's informative, and we see what it was like under Mosaic Law and how God dealed with, de dealt with these uh, specific differences in vows and whether you vowed this or that or whatever. But the bottom line is what we just read. Um, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. And that's for every dispensation. Um, when vows are made, the person offering something um, then in this situation would say, well, God, you do this and I'll, I'll give you that. That's the kind of vow we're talking about. We see them numerous times. Back uh, when um, uh, Jacob told the Lord that if you will deliver me and protect me and, and when he was in Bethel he says then you'll be my God and we shouldn't make that kind of vow today um, but again it's a different time different circumstances 
So God allowed for the person uh, to make these vows, and he honored them when they honored their word. But he also um, allowed for the person making the vow um, to then redeem the thing, whether it was a person, another person, like a child, um, or, uh, or whatever, an, a thing, an animal, or land, or a house, or whatever. And the instructions that follow, as we continue reading here in Leviticus 27, explain how the priests were to estimate the value in shekels uh, of the thing being re- redeemed. So it's kind of like, and it's not the same, but it's kind of like you put something in hawk down at a uh, pawn shop, you know, and um, there's, you, you want to get that thing out of hawk, then you make a payment, and then there's fees and things involved in that. Um, similar to that, when you make a vow under Mosaic law, then you would go to the priest at the temple and deal with these things. We don't have a priesthood, we don't have a temple, so obviously um, we can't and don't do that today, but it's, it's all very strange to us, and so we always have to keep in mind those facts. And even those today who pretend to be law keepers, like the Adventists, Judaizers of different sorts, black Hebrew Israelites, the Hebrew Roots people, uh, the Armstrong cults of uh, following uh, Herbert uh, and uh, Garner, Ted Armstrong, and whoever is over those cults now. They call themselves the Church of God, and they're not. They have no such system today, and they can't actually keep the law even though they pretend to. But uh, keeping in mind that then this is under Mosaic law, we can then glean certain things from them as we continue reading verses 3 and 4. And thy estimation shall be of the male from 20 years old even unto 60 years old. Even thy estimation shall be 50 shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary. And verse 4, and if it be female, then thy estimation shall be 30 shekels. (laughs) Now, uh, some people have read the Bible carefully, but they've done so to try to find things to, you know, pick on God about. And so they see this, and they see that the male uh, from 20 to 60, where the estimation was 50 shekels, but if it's female, it's only 30. So then they accuse the Bible of being sexist and thinking that women are worth less than uh, man. Let me remind you that Jesus Christ died to save men, male and female. And it's the same price paid for the soul of male and female. Jesus shed his blood to pay for the sins of the whole world. And whether you're male or female, that's the payment for your sin. This is talking about a particular thing. And that is the fact that when you vow a person, and it's it's your son, compared to your daughter, it's not that men are inherently worth more than women. It doesn't make that case here. This is talking about work equity. It has nothing to do with genitalia. It's solely concerned with the practical work equity in valuing the persons involved here. It's actually cutting people uh, some slack. If if it's a woman or a female, a young lady, say that's your daughter that you have uh, presented in your vow, then it would be less to redeem her than the male, and that'd be a relief to the family. Um, But even today, you just think about it, a talented athlete in a popular sport makes way more money than you do, (laughs) unless you're one of them. 
and we welcome popular athletes from popular or talented athletes from popular sports as I said but uh, I don't know of any listening here but um, so the the probability is that I'm talking to somebody who's not making millions of dollars a year and that's why it's it there's there are females in the WNBA and others who are making way more money than pretty much anybody I think is listening uh, right now uh, it's about your skills and um, you have to make yourself uh, worth something my dad told me that and I didn't listen uh, when I was in high school um, you know he said you have to acquire a skill that makes you valuable if you want to make more money and that's why a doctor makes more money than uh, you know a uh, auto mechanic for example auto mechanics in uh, I can't do that um, bring me a car I cannot fix it I can help you with a little you know change in the oil uh, sometimes I can diagnose whether it's a it's probably the battery or the alternator you know I can kind of narrow it down to that but I am no mechanic so uh, who are you gonna pay more to work on your car <laughs> the mechanic not Greg and uh, who are you gonna pay uh, if you need surgery you're gonna pay the surgeon you're not gonna pay someone who can't do the surgery to try and then pay them what you'd pay a real doctor so that's as simple as it is nothing more really needs to be said except watch out for people like that that they're always trying to find reasons to not have to obey God's Word not have to believe the gospel and be saved because they love their sin and so they attack the Bible and try to figure out ways around it loopholes and such well that can't be God's Word it thinks men are worth more than women and yes when it comes to the kind of work being done in that day a man was worth more but when it comes to your soul God knows you all worthless <laughs> but in spite of us being worthless sinners Christ died and shed his blood and made the same payment to save every single one of us verse 5 says back in Leviticus 27 and if it be from five years old even unto twenty years old then thy estimation shall be of the male twenty shekels and for the female ten shekels so ageism well from kindergarten to age twenty kids for the most part are not fully mature they're not physically or mentally mature uh, they're mostly unskilled um, especially today um, but even back then that was the case they're not very responsible they're not as trustworthy they're not tried and true they haven't d demonstrated their abilities yet hence men and women under the age of 20 um, were uh, regarded and estimated less than 20 up to age 60 um, in regards to the estimation of their worth in work equity now you ask any typical mother and um, you you ask her for a five-year-old little boy is worth as much as any other person on the planet and she'll say yes but that's not what we're dealing with here we're dealing with work equity and for that reason ages 5 to 20 was worth less than uh, t above 20 or 20 and above up to 60 but then verse 6 says and if it be from a month old even to five years old then thy estimation shall be of the male five shekels of silver or for the female thy estimation shall be three shekels of silver and again this is based on potential worth and yes a male child under this system 
was going to be worth more in pure occupational income, the ability to produce, the male would be slightly worth more, five shekels instead of three shekels over the female child. Um, and then verse 7 says, and if it be from 60 years old and above, so now we're at the other end of the age spectrum to those of basically what we call retirement age, um, but they're raising the retirement because Social Security is uh, running out of money because the uh, crooks in Congress spend it on all kinds of other things, but uh, that's enough for another issue another time. But if it be from 60 year, years old and above, if it be a male, then thy estimation shall be 15 shekels, and for the female, 10 shekels. Just a slight difference, but the difference between uh, the male at uh, 60 year, uh, years of age and above, and look at what it was uh, in verse 3. Went from 50 down to 15. Lost 35 shekels once he turned 60. Why? It has nothing to do with male or female. It has to do with uh, work equity. And listen, uh, you know, I'm nearing my 54th birthday at the time of this recording. I am nowhere near as um, fit um, as I was 17 years ago when we began BBF. By the time I'm 60, I'm not sure I'll be able to keep up with the rigorous schedule that I keep now. Um, I'm not b bragging or anything, but I'm just telling you, I, I get up uh, usually by 8 a.m., um, 8.30 at the latest, unless I'm sick or something. And I go and go and go until, uh, well, I, I stop long enough to eat lunch, and then I stop long enough to eat uh, dinner, and even after dinner, I slow down a little bit, but a lot of times, even when I'm hanging out with my wife or watching TV or whatever, I'm double-tasking. I'm doing things. So uh, I don't know if I'll be able to do that after I hit 60, 65. If the Lord tarries, I don't expect to be here that long, so I'm not worried a whole lot about it at this time. But um, that explains that. That's what that's all about. Now I want to read, a uh, well, verse 8 says, But if he be poorer than I estimation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall value him according to his ability that vowed shall the priest value him. So now we see that accommodations were made for those in poverty, as we uh, now see the estimation for animals, beginning in verse 9. I want to read through verse 13. These are short verses, but they're also dealing with some of the same sorts of things. Verse 9 through 13 says, And if it be a beast whereof men bring an offering unto the Lord, all that any man giveth of such unto the Lord shall be holy. He shall not alter it nor change it, a good for a bad. In other words, you bring the animal, it's, it should be a good animal, a fit animal, and you shouldn't then say, oh, I want that one back. I want to put this, want the broken back in there. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. And if he shall at all change beast for beast, then it and the exchange thereof shall be holy. Uh, and if, verse 11, and if it be any unclean beast of which they do not offer a sacrifice unto the Lord, then he shall present the beast before the priest. Verse 12, and the priest shall value it, whether it be good or bad, as thou valuest it. Who art the priest? So shall it be. Um, and verse 13 then says, But if he will at all redeem it, then he shall add a fifth part thereof unto 
my estimation. That's 20% basically. So without getting in too deep into the specifics of what we just read, the priest would make estimations of the worth of each animal, would then oversee the exchanges taking place, and then if you brought an unclean animal, uh, that couldn't be offered for sacrifice, so you'd have to redeem it, and it would be a uh, 20% um, additional fee if the owner making the vow wished to redeem that unclean animal, which could, as I said, you can't sacrifice unclean animals. Um, so let's continue in verses 14 and 15. And when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto the Lord, then the priest shall estimate it, whether it be good or bad, as the priest shall estimate it, so shall it stand. Verse 15 says, And if he that sanctified it will redeem his house, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of thy estimation unto it, and it shall be his. So this is comparable to getting a second mortgage on your house, and then you have to uh, you know, pay it off with 20% uh, on top. Um, why would somebody do that? Well, you know, these are these are about peop, people making vows, and they're and a lot of times when they make these vows, it's because they're desperate, and they're saying, "Oh God, please, if you'll just do this, I'll do that. If you'll do this, I'll give you my house." And so the house is basically put on the chopping block, so to speak, and then um, if God, uh, you know, fulfills the vow, does what they ask, they're obligated to give their house. Um, now, you say, man, that, I can imagine. Well, uh, back then, you know, they didn't have the equivalent of a quarter million dollar home. Most people lived in small huts and that kind of thing. And it, it would have been a loss, but it wouldn't have been a uh, devastating loss to lose your home. And yet they still would have to pay the 20% fee on top of that. Now, I'm going to stop there. Uh, in this study, we're going to pick up in verse 16 as we're running down the last few minutes of this study um, because I just want to clarify uh, the fact that even though we're not under Mosaic law and, you know, we don't make vows and have some official recording of that uh, vow by the priests and we're not under specific penalties of Mosaic law and all that that we've been reading we should still be very careful about vowing, um, especially when we make a vow to the Lord. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, But be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Now yes, that's this is spoken under Mosaic law, but uh, this is a principle that you see throughout Scripture, is remember who you are. Remember, you're making a vow to God. People just have this idea of God, you know, being this good old boy or old shucks, you know, that kind of thing. He is holy. You make a vow and you break that vow to God. That's some serious business. I'm not saying God strikes people dead for that kind of thing. I know God is very forgiving, and yet we should be very careful. Um... Solomon goes on to say this to those who are under Mosaic law in Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verses 4 and 5. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. See, pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. So to make and break a vow to God, especially, 
um, but make any vow and break it is to have borne false witness. And when you look up the seven things that God hates over in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, the next to last thing in that list is a false witness that speaketh lies. So God hates that. We simply cannot make promises and then break those promises and expect God to act like nothing happened. Think of how many people make the vow on their wedding day and break it and think nothing of it and think God thinks nothing nothing of it. And I've got news for you. Uh, most of the people I see doing that regret it. Their lives end up falling apart, especially if they don't repent and turn to God when He chastises them. If, they, if you are God's child, you'll be chastised. Hebrews 12, 7, 8 says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. So when I see somebody breaking that wedding vow, someone who makes promises and doesn't keep them, and I don't see God dealing with them, that's, that's bad. <laughs> that means you're not a son. You're a bastard, spiritually speaking, without a father. And so that's food for thought. As we read through this, it may not seem important to a lot of people who read through this because it's for people under Mosaic Law, but the principle underlying it all is very important. So with that principle in mind, we will pick up next time in verse 16 in Leviticus 27, Lord willing.